All right, well, you know, uh, this week I sent out a um, Darash, and it had a little bit to do with uh, God as he presents himself in chapter 6 of Exodus. And I got a few responses uh, to that, which was really good. I mean, people that, saying basically that I've always wondered about that, you know. And so I thought, well, maybe that might be a good thing for us to just simply talk about uh, today because it says a lot about our calling, who God is, and covers a lot of ground. And it really is a good reminder for us at the beginning of the year. Last week, we talked about the Shema in conjunction with Messiah's table uh, as sort of a uh, ground level, you know, going back to the basics kind of reminder. In chapter 6 of Exodus, which is the beginning of this week's Torah portion, God continues his conversation with Moses. And, you know, there's a lot of ways you can go on this passage because part of what is happening in this passage is that Moses is learning. Moses is on a a real steep learning curve real fast uh, about what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a leader of the Jewish people, uh, what it means to listen to God, uh, you know, what it means, uh, how to answer questions that people have, uh, all of it. So a lot of it is Moses learning. Okay, So that's one sort of perspective to take on this. Uh, but another one is, is God is communicating with Moses uh, more about who he is and anticipating the response of the people, okay? Now, so at the beginning of chapter 6, well, beginning in verse, I'll begin in verse 1, but actually the Torah portion begins in the third verse, but that's okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, You shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he shall drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. And furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. So God says to them here in chapter 6, he's actually reiterating a number of things that he has already said in chapters 3 and 4, 2, 3, and 4, okay? He says, I hear their groaning. He said that in chapter 2. He says, I remember the covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, okay? Uh, And then there is the issue of what is his name? What is fascinating about these early chapters of Exodus is that it's kind of ambiguous the way God defines himself. If you go back to chapter 3, in verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, and just in your English Bible, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now what is fascinating about that is that 
We all know that God, whenever you do a study of the names of God, there's two basic categories of names, right? There's the L names, and then there is, we'll just say it's sort of like the way uh, they say it writing in uh, biblical studies books, uh, Yahweh or Adonai, yud heh vav heh then you have those, uh, those names, okay? Uh, and we like to say that, well, the L names talk about the power and majesty and sovereignty of God. Uh, and El is simply the generic name for deity. Okay? Uh, but the yud heh vav names, that is, the, those names depict the, uh, the covenant. Well, like most things in the Bible, you can't completely categorize these things because there's overlap all over the place. Okay? So, interestingly enough, when Moses asks this question and he gets the answer, I am who I am, in Hebrew it says, Eyeh. doesn't say yud heh vav heh. Eyeh. Uh, which uh, is uh, a form of the verb uh, uh, to be, uh, which uh, is uh, the first person imperfect, okay, uh, which can be translated a variety of different ways. Uh, but most of the time in the Bible, in the Hebrew text, it's translated, I will be. I will be, I will be. So it's like, a, you see it all over the place. Just, I will be, wherever you read, I will be. There it is. And so he picks like this, this uh, what was it, typical kind of phrase that is not unique, that is not, um, uh, uh, it's not like a proper noun, you know, uh, and so uh, I am who I am, or I will be that I will be. All right, okay, and and uh, and we leave it uh, and we leave it at that. What does that mean? Well, most likely it means that I do what I will do. I I am the God who will do what He says He's going to do. Okay, or you know, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Uh, since I had to remind myself this morning that this is not uh, Hebrew at MSI. Okay. All right. Then uh, you have uh, in verse 15 of chapter 3, And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. So then, if you read that carefully, the Lord, uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is yud heh vav heh Adonai, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, okay? This is my name forever. This is my name that you shall remember to all generations, all right? So, evidently, yud heh vav heh this name is the name that they should remember. Now, what's the difference well, it's very interesting. Uh, they're, they're, all, they're both forms, eh, yeah, and Yahweh, as we would say in English, uh, are both forms of the verb to be. Uh, different, uh, 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 different parts of speech, you know, different forms. Uh, most would say that yud heh vav heh is a form that you don't read anywhere else in the Bible, and that it is... Uh, a, a third person, imperfect, uh, uh, a verb, 
uh, that also includes the meaning to cause things to happen, to cause something. Not just I will do, but I cause to do. Okay, I am the, I am the cause of things. Okay, and, uh, and so perhaps uh, when he says, my name is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that name, it's that people should remember he is the one as opposed to I am the one, which you read in verse 14. But he is the one. But what I would suggest to us is that the name, the name itself is not that the, the etymology of the name, like where the name comes from, the root of the name, is not the main thing about what we know about God. That, the, that to understand who God is, is not necessarily to figure out the root of his name and where it comes from, but what it means when God uses his name and when other people in the Bible use his name. Okay? And I would suggest to us, that's why this is written kind of like the way it is. Because, you know, when you think about it, why does God have to be invisible? We might ask that question. Why does God have to be invisible? Why does he have to say my name? You know, Why can't we give him a very particularized name that is not just a Hebrew verb that is imperfect, first person, third person, that it's like a particular name uh, and everybody will just know it and know how to pronounce it and it's like black and white. Why may I suggest? Because the nature of fallen humanity is we have a tendency to worship things. And that if God uh, was, uh, had a, a stone image of himself or a wooden image of himself, there would be a tendency to worship it. And if he gave such clarity to his name that we knew exactly how to pronounce it, and this is his name, and it's not used anywhere else, ever, anywhere else, we would then make a big deal and might start cults about his name, which I will tell you happens all the time, right? There are groups of people, and, you know, God bless them. They have hearts of gold. They want to do the right thing. But what, they're, what they do is they take the name and, 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 I, and, idol, and idolicize it. I don't know whatever that word is. Uh, turn it into an idol. Okay, turn it into an idol that we're worshiping this, this word. And if we don't say this word, then there's something wrong. And that is exactly, I would say, why you have here what, what, um, what God says to Moses to say to the people is aye. Isn't that interesting? What God then says to Moses is yudhe but he says, tell the people, eh, yeah. Wow. And so it seems that from the point of view of God, the, the word itself is not the main thing. Very important to remember. Because when we come to chapter 6, we have this confounding statement. At the beginning of chapter 6, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Right, as I said, for under compulsion, he shall let them go. And under compulsion, he shall drive them out of the land. Okay? God says to Moses and, to, and, and said to him, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am yud heh And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
as El Shaddai, which is a whole other can of worms. Uh, but by my name, yud heh vav I did not make myself known to them. Wait a minute. We read that word all over Genesis, all the way going back to the second chapter of Genesis. yud heh vav We read, we read the name. We read that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew that name. So what does this mean then? Okay. Well, I would say, uh, for our purposes this morning, the important word is appear and make myself known. Okay? When he says, I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as, as El Shaddai, it's very interesting where you read those, uh, where you read those words. Okay? You read uh, El Shaddai... In Genesis 17.1, Genesis 28.3, Genesis 35.11. And you know what they all have in common? Well, I will read one of them. Okay. Genesis 17.1 says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, there they go, and said, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. Okay. Uh, Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Okay? Farther on down, uh, he again talks about a multitude of nations. Right? In verses 4 and 5. And then he says in verse 6, And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Right? I will make many nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between, between me and you and your descendants. Okay? All right, so he... When he appears as El Shaddai, he says, I'm, I'm making this covenant to you. You will have multitudes of children. You will be fruitful and multiply. Okay? In Genesis chapter 28, you read here, uh, in speaking to Isaac, okay? this is kind of like Isaac and Jacob. Isaac is blessing Jacob in chapter 28. right? And, uh, and he says, El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may possess the land. In chapter 35, we read here in verse uh, 11, God speaks again to Jacob. God also said to him, I am El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. So evidently, El Shaddai is particularly related to God making this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Covenant of many nations, of a land, kings, the chosen people, all of that. Okay? Now, we get a little farmished with the English translation. Confused. With the English translation. Uh, because, okay, you got to buckle your seatbelts a little bit here. Almighty comes from the Greek, from the Septuagint, uh, a translation which is based on a word that is not exactly Shaddai. Okay? And that's where the, the tradition of Almighty comes from. Now, I remember when Dr. Meyer was here uh, and he um, uh, was teaching on Job. This word is used a lot. And I remember what he said, and, and I saw where I saw who originally um, 
came up with this uh, idea of the meaning of Shaddai, and, I, and so it makes sense that Dr. Meyer would, would say this, that the word for breast in Hebrew is shad. And so the dual shadaim, okay, is very interesting. And uh, that perhaps it's related to this issue of fruitfulness, of childbearing, of, um, of bountifulness, you know, in producing uh, children and blessing. And it is very interesting that in Genesis, the word is used not every single time, but always with God who made a covenant, and most often in relationship to be fruitful and multiply, and you and your descendants, you know? So that's very interesting, see? So when he says in Exodus chapter 6, when he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, El Shaddai. The, the people here, Moses hearing this, uh, did not have access to the Septuagint or anything other than the word of God as it had been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it seems that what he, how he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who makes the promise. I appear to them as, as El Shaddai, the one who promises to be fruitful and multiply, the one who said that this, you'll have many descendants and kings will come forth from you. Okay, And so primarily, we could say, not that it's the meaning of the name, but he appeared to them, he was known to them as the, the one who makes these great promises to us. And we see that God received that from Abraham. Abraham passes it down. Uh, God gives the same promise to Isaac that he gave to Abraham. Isaac gives it to Jacob. Isaac hears it. Jacob hears it. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. You'll have descendants. So what I would say is the best way to translate El Shaddai. Are you ready? I would translate El Shaddai as El Shaddai. I don't think there's an English translation. I don't think I don't think that there's an English translation. You know, it's like you know my son in Israel. So people talk to him and they're speaking in Hebrew, speaking in Hebrew, speaking in and, and, and I know they're speaking to him. They'll say Jason, right? It's his name, and so that's his name. No matter how, you know how you pronounce his name, that's how you, that's his name, and that's true. You know, with people that come from foreign lands and live here. It's important to pronounce their name, not translate it into something else, right? And so, Shaddai, El Shaddai, okay? So now he says, I, I did not, I appear to them as, as El Shaddai, but by my name, yud heh I did not make myself known to them. Now, you'll notice, now we have to ask ourselves, well, what does he mean by that? Because they knew the name, they knew the name, but evidently, that was not their primary sense of, of who he is. Okay? Now, he says, And I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Now, this is important. Oh, it's important. Okay? All through the Exodus, we read, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's why he, and he hears the, and he hears the groaning of the people today. But he remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembers the promise that he made. He remembers that he said, be fruitful and multiply, and that you'll be the, 
you know, you'll have many descendants and kings will come forth from you and, you know, and nations will be blessed in you. I could, you know, that's a whole other sermon, right? Nations will be blessed in you, okay? I, uh, that is how they primarily understood a God. But now he says to the nation, to the nation, primarily, this is how I want to be understood as yud heh vav -Hey. Now, the reason I say it's so important to understand this is because, you see, there's a lot of emphasis on God remembering the covenant that he made. A lot of emphasis on God saying, I remembered how I appeared to them as El Shaddai. I remember how I appeared to them as El Shaddai. It's very important. I appear to them as El Shaddai, the one who makes this promise. Okay? But to the nation, I want to be known as yud heh vav -Hey. Okay. Now, he's going to define what he means by that, as clear as it can be. He says, okay, in verse 5, And furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel, because of the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Again, my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the yud heh vav -Hey, and I will, okay? Remember in chapter 3, I will be, right? I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you from an, with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you for my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the yud heh vav -Hey, your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And so evidently, God wants to be remembered by the recipients of the promise as Adonai, the one who brings you out, the one who delivers you, the one who takes you out, the one who brings you to the land, the one uh, who is your God, the one who does all these things. And so he defines what he means by making himself known as Adonai. And so primarily to the recipients of the promise for all of these years, the God of Israel, yud heh vav -Hey, Adonai, is the deliverer, is the redeemer, the one who takes us out of slavery and makes us his own. The one who replaces Pharaoh as king and makes himself king. The one who delivers, the one who redeems. And then there are a myriad of other terms used in the Bible for this. The one who rescues. The one that we're secure in. Like, for example, if you turn to Psalm 91, you read there, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord... My strength, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from deathly pestilence. And he goes on, a shield and a bulwark. And uh, he describes, using all kinds of words, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. In many of the Psalms, the prayer is for deliverance. The God of Israel loves his people. He delivers them. What is the primary understanding that we have of Yeshua, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world? Primarily, the, the uh, Passover story is the story 
of Yeshua in type or in picture, right? Uh, and the one who delivers. Uh, and, and then all that goes with that. Okay, now, if you turn in the New Covenant to a passage like, like uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, okay, here Paul is stating how God has inaugurated the New Covenant. And what does he say? Now he's, now he's saying here, this is what God has promised us, and this is what he has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, for he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Messiah Yeshua, to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made himself known to us, uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in us. And it goes on and on. The point being is that we understand Yeshua as Yudhe because of how he identifies himself and what he does. We know God by what he does. We know his name is identified by what he does. And so we glorify his name by articulating what he does, who he is, what he's accomplished, what he's caused, and by the very embodiment of that in our own lives. See? How does the world know who God is? By how we, by how we act, how we interact with this world. And by the words but the words that come out of our mouth, and the deeds uh, that we say. And so it is not, to understand who God is, is not to figure out where his name comes from, but what his name means. And God has made clear to us what his name means. His name means deliverance. His name means salvation. His name means being brought up uh, from the mire of the quicksand of guilt and shame and sin and being brought out of it. That's what his name means. That's who uh, Hashem is, Adonai is, and that's how he wants to primarily be known to us as the one who keeps his word, uh, the one who keeps the covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know from the Brit Chadashah that the promise of God being a blessing to the nations is fulfilled primarily in the person of Yeshua, the Messiah. He is yud heh in the flesh. He is all that God is and all that God does. And if, if we need a verse to remind us of that, turn to Colossians in the New Covenant, in chapter 1, okay, in verse 13, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, God, the Father, he's delivered us, that's who he is, in his Son, 
And in his son, he is our king, the kingdom of his son. We, you know, he's the one descended from David, right? Uh, and in Messiah Yeshua, we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of us, his sin, of our sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is Eyeh. He is Shaddai. He is the one who makes the promise. He is the one who keeps the promise. He is the one who is the cause of everything that is and brings to pass that which will be. Yeshua is the visible image of the invisible God. He is Adonai. And that is how we understand Him to be, our Deliverer. And so, uh, that is what God tells Moses He wants to communicate to the nation. I am the Deliverer. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. Right? I'm going to be the one. Now, when He brings them out of Egypt, of course, you know, it's very interesting, uh, just very, very quickly, in Leviticus, uh, I'll just say this. It's at the very end of Leviticus chapter 25. It's a very interesting statement. You read, For the sons of Israel are my servants. Now, there's a particular translation that I use sometimes where the word slave is actually used there. I'll bet, I'll bet somebody likes that. No, I bet we all like that. We all love that, right? For the sons of Israel are my slaves. They are my slaves whom I brought out from the land of Egypt. I am the yud heh vav your God. I'm the deliverer. And so I think it's very interesting. So many by the ways here. It's very interesting that in Exodus, you read that Pharaoh is called the king of Egypt. It's kind of a strange, it's the Pharaoh of Egypt, right? But called the king of Egypt, king of Egypt, king is Pharaoh, right? So the people are delivered from that king to serve the king, right? And, and so the people are not free to just go and do whatever they want to do. They are free to be a slave of God, to serve God, right? Uh, and, uh, and so, in doing so, we've been delivered. We've been delivered from that domain of darkness to the, to the light, from darkness to the light, from Pharaoh uh, uh, to God. And Yeshua has come to manifest all of this in our lives, okay? Uh, and so the question then for us in closing today is how do we manifest God as a deliverer of Israel? How do people know that? When we look out in this world and say, oh, the world has such a twisted view of who God is. Well, why is that? You know? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But one reason could be that we need to do a little bit of a better job in mirroring this image of God to this world. That when we identify ourselves as people of God, that we need to demonstrate that in our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we interact with people, all of that. Remember, it's very interesting in um, uh, Ezekiel 36, very famous passage, God says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. So one of the great charges against the Jewish people in relationship like to the Babylonian captivity is that they profaned his name. How? They did not demonstrate God as the God of Israel. They did not demonstrate the, this invisible God who has the name yud heh vav as a deliverer, as the one uh, who blesses his people in a certain 
you know, in a way by visibly blessing them. Why? Because they had sinned. And when we sin, we drag God's name through the mud. We drag his name through the mud. And so, you know, it is very important for us that we recognize that the important thing about knowing his name is living it out and not treating his name like some kind of superstitious verbiage, which he does, clearly does not do in Exodus by saying, tell the people my name is a yeah. We don't do that, right? That, but we demonstrate deliverance. And that has to do with everything we ever talk about as a believer, right? That has to do with forgiving one another. That has to do with uh, obedience. It has to do with the way that we um, uh, show uh, the nature of God, the character of God in the workplace, at home, wherever we might be, all that. And that uh, is a great way to kick off this year, isn't it? That may we demonstrate the name of God. May we demonstrate what deliverance, what repentance, what redemption, what adoption, yeah, what, all, what all of that means in the way that we live our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us Yeshua. You have given us Yeshua, the one who has manifested your name as he prayed in John 17 the one who has manifested your name, the one who delivers. Lord, I pray, God, for all of us here today that deep down in our kishkas, deep down inside of us, we might have an experience with you where we know we have been delivered. We know that we're changed people. Even if we can't manifest that yet in our lives, even though we may live in the flesh sometimes and we're, we're still working on all these parts of our lives, may we just know inside of us, that you have delivered us. And Lord, we know that you have given us the Ruach HaKodesh as a sign to us all, Jew and Gentile alike, that we know who we are in you. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would live this life of deliverance, that we would live this life of redemption, that we would know that our sins are forgiven, that we would know that you love us regardless of whatever station in life we might be, that you love us as much today as the day we first embraced you, even if it was as a child. Lord, may we know that there is a hope and there, there is a future, that there is going to be the redemption not only of our spirit, so to speak, but of our body and of this world. May we realize that that is what your name means. And Lord, may we demonstrate it. May we live it. May we find hope and life in your name today. We pray in Yeshua's name.